and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of AIG Europe Limited and Woodman. The citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 18. And the case that we're looking at this week centres around a firm of solicitors who failed to do their job properly and had to rely on their insurance to cover significant damages. This is standard practice when something goes wrong, and in fact the area is governed by the Solicitors Act 1974, and, more specifically, a set of rules established by the Law Society. These rules contain minimum terms and conditions and are designed to protect not only solicitors, but also claimants as well, while also ensuring that the insurance policies are competitive so that companies like AIG have an incentive to actually provide them. The balance between the interests of solicitors, claimants and insurers is really important and means that there is a minimum amount of money available per claim. However, there are also circumstances in which a number of claims can be bundled together so as to reduce the liability of insurers. It is this that is central to this case and so we need to look closely at the wording in clause 2.5a4 of the minimum terms and conditions. This states that claims are to be bundled together when the claims arise from quote, similar acts or omissions in a series of related matters or transactions, end quote. So now that we have that down, let's actually find out what happened in this case. A property development company called Midas wanted to build two holiday resorts, one in Turkey and one in Morocco. These resorts would be financed by a range of private investors who would, in return, have security over the land. This arrangement was effected by way of a trust, so that the solicitors would act as the trustees over the land with the investors as beneficiaries. Meanwhile, the money was held in a separate account and would not be passed over to Midas until the development sites could be secured. A deal was eventually agreed and therefore the money started to be handed over, but months later the Financial Services Authority got involved and ordered that no more money should be handed over to Midas, and so the purchase could not be completed in either Turkey or Morocco, and the development company was wound up. You might be wondering what exactly the solicitors did wrong in this case, but remember that they had been clearly instructed not to release the funds until the purchase of the site could be completed, and they failed in this duty. The claims of the investors came to a total of £10 million, and the solicitors had insurance for up to £3 million per claim. But the insurers submitted a case to the commercial court stating that the claims of the investors should be amalgamated as per clause 2.5a4 of the minimum terms and conditions that we mentioned earlier. The commercial court dismissed the claim because the claims of the investors were not mutually dependent. When the case came to the Court of Appeal, they disagreed with this interpretation and instead applied their own, by saying that the transactions should have an intrinsic relationship with each other. Unsurprisingly, the case found its way to the Supreme Court, where the justices were asked to provide their own interpretation of related matters or transactions that is found in Clause 2.5a4. They began by criticising the word intrinsic that was used by the Court of Appeal, and when we hear their reasoning we will understand that this makes a lot of sense. This is because the word itself is rather vague, and can mean different things in different contexts. To give an example, it is easy for me to say that Mauricio Pochettino is intrinsic to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, but consider whether Jeremy Corbyn is intrinsic to the Labour Party. 
Different people will have different views dependent on the way that they approach the word intrinsic. In fact, in my view, the word only serves to add emphasis to the word related that already appears in clause 2.5a4. And, as the Supreme Court pointed out, if this was intended, then it would have been included by the Law Society in the first place. Getting back to the facts of the case, the justices decided to first look at each development, i.e. Turkey and Morocco, on its own. There were a significant number of investors for each development, and yet they all shared a number of characteristics beyond the location and the development. For example, the scheme itself was the same for all of the investors, and furthermore all of them were co-beneficiaries under a common trust. Looking at this objectively, it would be hard to say that these are not related, and so the claims can be bundled together. On the other hand, if we try and bundle the claims of both sides together, the picture becomes a little different. At this point, the Supreme Court pointed out that these sets of claims relate to different sites, have different investors, and have distinct deeds of trust. We can therefore see that if we apply an objective test to this set of facts, it would be difficult to justify that the claims are related. To sum up then, the claims for each individual development site can be amalgamated, but all of the claims for both sites can't be bundled together. When we follow the reasoning of the Supreme Court in this case, there might be one or two questions that we have regarding their decision, and the way that some of the factors are taken into account. But overall, the judgment makes a lot of sense in its logic. I think that what makes this decision of the justices so different from the lower court judgments in the same case is the refusal to apply some sort of a rule or a test. We saw that the commercial court relied on the transactions being mutually dependent, while the Court of Appeal tried to define an intrinsic link. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court left the wording as it is in Clause 2.5a4, and instead took an approach that each case should be looked at on its own facts. Whether you think that this is a correct approach or not depends on how easy it is to apply the words related matters or transactions to real-life scenarios. If you think that the wording is pretty self-explanatory, then the Supreme Court has done its job well by leaving the clause alone. On the other hand, if you think that this still leaves a grey area, then I'm afraid the Supreme Court has not done much to add to the law of the UK in this particular judgement. Personally, I am more inclined to lean towards the latter view, because grey areas do exist in the real world, and even though the case before us is maybe not the best example of this, there are still some unanswered questions that are brushed aside in the supposedly objective, fact-based judgement. If that is true here, it will be even more so in future cases, and so the Supreme Court has missed a golden opportunity to provide some guidance to lower court judges when this does eventually come up again. This is not to say that the justices should have put forth a foolproof test to apply that is set in stone, because this lacks any flexibility whatsoever. Instead, they could have shored up the current clause 2.5a4, by outlining how an objective test might be practically applied. Ultimately, this would have offered insurers, solicitors, claimants and even judges a greater degree of certainty in an important area of everyday legal practice. Well, thank you very much for tuning in once again to another episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast. Thanks as well to bensound.com who provide the theme music. I'll be back next week with another case to look at, but until then, bye!